We're here to uh, honor the name of Jesus, and I don't know of anything that honors him more than but confessing that there is nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash away my sin. That assumes, of course, that we understand who he is, and that's what our message is about today. Who is this one called Jesus? We won't belabor that, but we'll point out that there's challenges in the world today on the person and the work of Christ in such a way that uh, the world really doesn't know anymore who he is. The theme is children versus antichrist. This passage is 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27. So if you turn there, let's read that together. 1 John 2. 18 through 27. Actually, I'm going to read verse 28 too. I know that encroaches on the next speaker's territory, but uh, there's an important thought at the end. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See uh, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And then verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You see there's a paragraph break there, but there's a definite connection between what, he, what we read in 18 through 27 and verse 28. Our outline is like this, and you're getting a copy of it for you to uh, use and take some notes on if you so desire. Uh, the concept of first children, and then a discussion of the Antichrist. And uh, you hear that word used several times in the portion that we just read. It's not a very pleasant word, is it? Um, I, I thought I should be like, like Dr. Frank and have a, a good joke to start the message with, but the more I studied Antichrist, I thought, well, you know, there's not too many jokes about this guy. That's no joking matter, and it really isn't. So um, we'll carefully take a look at, at uh, this portion and hopefully be able to understand a little bit. Last message, we heard that there was a test, and, and really the first test about those who walk in Christian fellowship, that is, who walk in the light. 
And the test was, do not love the world. You remember that? It's been a while since we had that message, but it's an important one. Do not love the world. There's another test, and that's what he presents to us this time. This is the test of doctrine. Doctrine is truth teaching or teaching about truth. It's the, the um, summary of thoughts on a various subjects from Holy Scripture. And uh, we're going to have to test doctrine in order to understand who is the one who's walking in the light. So it's an important concept. False doctrine leads people astray. And that's a little bit scary, but it's something we need to know. False doctrine leads people astray. We must strive for the truth. All right? John 17, 3, the Lord Jesus said, Thy word is truth. So we go to the word of God and we examine it and that's where we get the summary of our truth doctrine from the word of God. It's interesting in discussing uh, religious things with my father-in-law, his point of view is that there's just so many interpretations about the Bible that you can just take whatever one you want and use it. And so that's basically where false doctrine comes from. That's the philosophy that's in the world today. Well, it doesn't really matter. If you want to interpret the Bible this way, fine. If you want to interpret the Bible that way, that's okay for you. If you don't want anything to do with the Bible, that's okay too. Not so, says the Apostle John. In fact, absolutely not so. My challenge to my father-in-law was this. He's got stocks and uh, savings and annuities and so on, and he's very careful about them. A few years ago, he was in agony because the stock market was going in the wrong direction. Remember in 2008? Oh, my goodness, he read the paper every day. You thought the world was going to end. Today... We're talking about the stock, or at least uh, one aspect of the stock market, hitting 17,000. The prediction is by the end of the summer, the, uh, which one is it, Dow? Mark, is that the right one? The Dow will be at 17,000. Woohoo! I'm making big money now, Andrew says. And so he reads the newspaper with delight and joy because all those annuities and so on are, are producing great wealth for him. I said, Andrew... If any interpretation is okay, would you allow me to interpret your will? Now, I happen to know because he's told us what's in the will and how it's divided. And um, I'm not going to be a wealthy person when he dies. I'll just say it that way. But if he would allow me to interpret his will any way I wanted to, Guess who would receive the bulk of that uh, inheritance? <laughs> wow. Right? Is it okay to just interpret things any way you want? No, no, he's very, very careful. Had a lawyer, had uh, several people evaluate, and his will is locked tight, and it's exactly the way he wants it. 
So when he passes away and the will is read, exactly his intentions will be carried out. Does that make sense? Is it okay to interpret a will any way you want? Of course not. No, you go to the author's intention. He spells it out carefully. You understand as best you can what those intentions are, and you divide the inheritance accordingly. The Lord Jesus has a rich, rich inheritance, as it were, for us. It's the Word of God. And that treasure can be divided many different ways, but not according to truth. The Scripture says we're to rightly interpret or rightly discern or rightly divide the word of truth. And that's where our framework for decision-making and morality and, and justice and all of those things come from. It comes from the word of God when it is applied properly. So we'll say it this way. Not just any interpretation will do. And what we need to do, because there's so many interpretations out there. Someone says, well, this is how I interpret Scripture. And someone else says, well, I, I interpret the passage this way. It was kind of funny. The other, about a couple of weeks ago, um, several of you were at KT's house. And I happened to get home uh, from a trip a little early. So I stopped up on the deck and I got in in the middle of conversation. And my goodness, we were interpreting Scripture all over the place. It was Frank's fault. But uh, people were interpreting all kinds of things in Scripture. And there were different points of view. The important thing is that we get to the truth. We have to get to the truth. And what we do is take our ideas, we listen to someone else's ideas, then we go to the Word of God, and we make certain that not only the passage that we're dealing with, but every other passage of Scripture supports the view that we take. When we do that, we can be somewhat even reasonably sure that we are interpreting Scripture accurately. Very, very important. Now, the key thing is, on the major issues, there must be agreement. There are minor issues that God has put in His Scripture, minor issues. They're all important. I don't mean to disregard that. But they're not the key things like the deity of the Lord Jesus, which is our study this morning. That's a key thing. And we have to go to all of Scripture to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ really is. And we put the whole thing together and we come to truth. Now, if we want to discuss um, how deep the baptistry should be for immersion, uh, we, we would go to Scripture and some will say it must be at least four feet deep. All right? Others say, no, you can get by with, uh, with, with a foot and a half. What's the big issue? We want them completely under. So whether it's four feet or if they're real skinny, I guess you get by with six inches. But that's not a big deal as far as Scripture is concerned. You, you see what I'm getting at? So we can have differences of opinion about some of those things. But there are some things that are so vital to who we are and to our eternal welfare, that we have to have absolute understanding of truth. So, study to find the interpretation that is consistent with all of the rest of Scripture. 
And we have a wonderful blessing in that hundreds and hundreds of pages have been written on each of the various doctrines so that we can compile quite a nice, inter, uh, quite a nice library of things. Some say, well, I don't have time to do all of that. Well, then that's why we gather on Sunday morning for a time of teaching where someone who has studied the Word looks at these different passages and tries to pull them together, hopefully put them into some kind of a meaningful discussion. Then you take it back and and, uh, interact with the other Christians about it and make sure that you have a clear understanding. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. Any challenges to what I'm teaching so far? Any questions about what I've just presented? Uh, if, if, you know, if I'm way off the track, we've got to get it nailed down now. Any problems? Okay. Any questions? All right. Uh, if you have questions later, let's discuss it. It would be very important. We'll move ahead. Little children. Little children. He speaks to these people to whom he's writing in such a way that he wants them to know he, they are deeply loved. Um, I was talking to Amanda. Can I quote you, Amanda? Last evening, she said, she was ready to take her young child and place him somewhere other than her room. He was not cooperating. But I guarantee you that if I tried to take that child away from Joe and Amanda, there would be scratching and clawing and screaming and biting, and, and I would become mutilated because no one takes my little children from me. And that's the way John viewed these, these people in the church. And that's the way I view you folks. And that's the way we need to view each other. We are precious in God's sight. We are precious to one another. And we need to hold each other close. Yes, there'll be differences. But they're for a moment. This morning, he's fine. And, and he seems to be making his mother happy. Right, Amanda? Okay, so she's not going to throw him out the window, to quote her. Okay. <laughs> but we resolve those differences, and we continue in the fellowship because there needs to be this bond. That's the only way we're going to survive, people, in a world that is opposed to who we are and what we believe in and the person of our salvation. Dear little children, His point is that these folks are probably somewhat susceptible to false doctrine. The mature person who has spent hours and and years studying the word, when false doctrine comes up, they're not going to be led astray. They're going to be able to hold fast. But some intriguing philosophy comes forward or an interesting interpretation. And and to someone who maybe isn't as, as versed in the Holy Scripture as someone else, there's a tendency to be allowed to drift away from the truth. And the point is we need to use great discernment. And little children don't always have great discernment, and so we train them and we encourage them. That's what our Bible teaching is about. That's what our fellowship is about. We want to make sure that there is a a protection around each one. Now, John makes it very clear. He says, your protection is a result of the anointing that you've experienced. And um, in verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Okay? 
We understand this to mean, I'm sorry, we understand this to mean that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided you with the Holy Spirit at the time you trusted Christ. That is supported by many other portions of Scripture. We don't have time to look at them this morning. That's a clear teaching of the Word of God. And it's this Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, who indwells each believer that allows us to have, quote, knowledge. Knowledge. That's what John was talking about. Does that mean we know it all? No. No. It means that we have the capacity to discern and know truth. I was interested, several of you, when we did the, the uh, spiritual gifts analysis, several of you came up with uh, a, a strong indicator that you have discernment. Now that's very important. We need that in the body of Christ. We need to have people who will listen, evaluate, and then make a, cons- a, 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 a careful decision as to whether what's being said is truth or falsehood. And people with the gift of discernment seem to have a little edge in that area. But because you have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter whether you have it as your primary spiritual gift or not even on your spiritual gift radar, you have the Holy Spirit. And because you have God's Holy Spirit, you have this anointing from above that allows you to understand and know truth. We can tell the difference between, between false doctrine and true. Now, not at first blush, not the moment we hear it, but because we have the capacity to study and hundreds of books available to us and computer programs, and I hope we're using all of those, we can come to a clear understanding of what the truth is. John says in verse 27, the anointing that was given you abides in you. He will never be taken away. This is a permanent gift from God. Question. Why does John say in this portion that we do not have, that we have no need for anyone to teach us? Um, Does that mean we can pack up and go home and and just skip this Bible teaching time? Uh, No. It means, according to William McDonald, that we have all we need for instruction in the truth of God. Now, First Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Second Peter. Better get my story straight here. Look it up. Where does it say we have all that we need for life and godliness? Is that First Peter three or Second Peter three? I'm a little mixed up. Sorry, should have that in my notes. Ah, Second Peter one. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It goes on to list several things that we can be involved with as far as developing our ability to understand and have knowledge. So that's a good passage, 2 Peter chapter 1. It would be a good, good portion to study along with it. But we're not saying that we don't need anybody to teach us in Bible teaching. It means that you have what you need. And if you were all alone and had only the Word of God, the Holy Spirit could give you clear instruction.
You have heard. I'm sorry, my pages, for some reason, are all out of order here. You have heard the Antichrist is coming. Where did they hear about Antichrist? Well, there's many passages, and I'm not going to read them all, but we're going to look at a few. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. This will give you a little bit of a hint, and maybe you could write down these texts and uh, look at them a little later as you study. Verse 26 of chapter 9. The vision that came to Daniel. Why can't I find 26? Verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, that is the Messiah, will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue unto the end. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Very confusing language until you try and put it all in context. It's talking about the Antichrist. You could go over to chapter 11, verse 21. Again, um, Difficult, it says, he will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom with its people when its people feel secure and he will seize it through intrigue and so on and so forth. Um, also, if you would, jot down Matthew 24, 5 and 11. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. And he tells us directly about this abomination that's coming, this Antichrist. Uh, Paul writes of him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 8. And then John, who is the author of the passage we're studying this morning, also writes about him in Revelation 13, 1 through 10, and in Revelation 19, 19 through 20. I'm going to wait a minute there and ask you to, to jot down those references and take a look at those. This is the Antichrist. This is who they had heard about. And it's, it's important for us to understand who this person is. All right? I can get you those verses later if you weren't able to get them all. When he appears, he will demand that the world worship him in the place of God or as he were God. Anti means both against Christ and instead of Christ. And that's a scary, scary thought. Antichrist. What does it mean to be against Christ? Well, it means to stand in opposition of all he stands for. It means to state lies where he has presented truth. It means to undercut his authority and his glory and his position to be against him, to be in opposition. But the next phrase, instead of, is maybe even a little more subtle. Instead of Christ. And this one's really struck my heart and really given me grief. Are there things in my life that are anti-Christ? Are there things in our conduct that are instead of 
the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sobering thought. I think a distinct possibility. It's not that we will, that we will succumb to those things and say, this is, this is who I'm following now. I'm getting rid of, of uh, Christ. He's no longer, in my mind, the Son of God and so on. But, but there are subtle little things that we need to be aware of that sometimes um, creep in that might have an attitude that uh, is a little bit against Christ. Now, when John wrote this, there had been many who had been named Antichrist. David Levy says this, They received that label because they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. Today, the spirit of Antichrist that permeates the world emanates from those who deny Christ. What was true back then is still true today. The spirit of Antichrist that permeates the world emanates from those who deny Christ. What does it mean to deny Christ? Well, in, in literally, in, in, its, in its most clear understanding, it's to say that Jesus is not Messiah. Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is not the Anointed One. And there's all kinds of ways to say that. But if we study carefully what people are saying about Jesus, we can determine whether they are buying into the concept that Jesus is the third person of the triune God, that he is the Son of God, that he is the God-man, all of those concepts, or perhaps they're saying, no, we reject that philosophy. Rejecting who Jesus is, John determines is antichrist, against Christ and instead of Christ. Now here's the thrilling thing. True believers are protected from that kind of an assault. True believers are protected from going astray if they follow the anointing that they have. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Believers who are controlled by the Holy Spirit will receive the direction and discernment they need to avoid deceptions. David M. Leary, Levy. That's a promise from God. It's a, a statement about what it means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. John says, you all know. That is, you receive the ability to know God's truth through His Word and also be able to detect error. You were taught and are being taught truth from God's Word. And that's what we need to continually search for. We need to continually go after that. Um, John 14, 26 and 27, the Lord Jesus said, Another comforter is coming. And when he comes, he'll be able to lead you into all truth. He will teach you all things. John 16, 13, another similar situation. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 9, that you have been given the Holy Spirit of promise through the faith that you have in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that Holy Spirit, that anointing, that is going to uh, protect you when it comes to false doctrine. John writes that no lie is of the truth. Now that, at, at 
face value seems like kind of a stupid thing to say, doesn't it? Of course, no lie is of truth. But what he's getting at is this, this body of truth that we have from God is something that we can depend on. And we're not going to be deceived if we carefully interpret the Holy Word of God through the help of the Holy Spirit. We are not going to be led astray. We're not going to be led into lies. In fact, he makes it clear that truth and lies cannot coexist. And so if we find that someone has a little hint of truth in what they say and then mingles it with some dishonorable, dishonest things, what can we say about that person? Not a hard distinction. That person is anti-Christ. Not the Antichrist, not the abomination that's going to show up in the temple and say, I am God. That person is still coming. It's a horrible time. Uh, we dread that concept. But there are many in the world today who have an attitude that they are either against Christ or taking this instead of Christ. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's where the lies are coming from. Knowing God's truth in its purity puts a wall of protection around us. Have you heard it said over and over again this morning? It's absolutely essential for you personally to study the Word of God. I don't believe it's enough for us to come Sunday morning, listen to a 30 or 40 minute, uh, yeah, 40 minute sermon, and say, I've got all the teaching I need. I, that, folks, that just won't cut it. I don't believe it's enough for us on a daily basis to pick up our Bible and spend 10 minutes reading a devotional. I think we've got to get deeper than that. In fact, the more lies that are out there and the more deception that's being thrown at us, it seems to me the more important it is for us to have a personal study of the Word of God. Now, several years ago, I bought this Bible, the Quest Study Bible. And the reason I bought it is because there were young Christians that I was working with and discipling them. And as you open this Bible up, there's all kinds, I don't know if you can tell or not, but on the side there's blue notes. And uh, those notes have been pretty good, pretty accurate. You want to make sure that you get a study Bible that's a good one. Mark, you have an ESV study Bible. Are you finding that to be pretty solid? Do you have it with you this morning? Okay, check with Mark. Um, he picked that one up. Frank, you use NET translation. Um, is there a study Bible associated with that? Not, not you're aware of? Okay. Um, it used to be that you could strongly recommend NIV. Not so much anymore. The new NIV um, has edited things in a, in a way that's uh, not, not good. So avoid the NIV, at least the newer editions of NIV. But look for a good study Bible. Uh, Ryrie is a man from Dallas Seminary who's put together a very good study Bible. And I have that in the New American Standard Version. So there's lots of references out there that you can use. Um, go online. There's concordances online. Quickly, anybody that uses online stuff, what are some good sites that the that rest of us can go to? Got one? Bible Gateway is a good one. Thank you. Who? I'm not understanding. Bible? Two C's. Bible CC. 
Any others? Bible.org. Bible.org. Okay. These are reliable. These are ones that have been tested and proven, and so we're suggesting, yes, maybe you could use those resources. You can buy software that will help you, and I recommend all of this for all of us. Well, I don't really have time to study the Bible. Well, you know what? We're going to stumble. We're going to have struggles. We need to spend time in the Word. John says, no lies of the truth. Truth and lies cannot coexist, and so it's vital that we know God's truth in its purity because that puts a wall of protection around us. Here's the test. Who is a liar? Who is Antichrist? It's the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Do you remember when Peter and the, and the disciples were gathered around Jesus? He said, who are, who are people saying that I am? And uh, there were several answers. Jesus said, but, but who do you say that I am? And Peter received this divine interpretation. And he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And the Lord Jesus said, Simon, that, that's good. Blessed are you, Simon. This didn't come from, from your own intellect. This came from the Spirit of God. And folks, we have that Holy Spirit. And we can make those discerning statements because God has given us the Holy Spirit as a protection. We've got to use it. We've got to be careful in how we study. Here's the test. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Deny His sonship. Deny His deity. Deny His Messiahship, His anointing. And you are anti-Christ. All right. William McDonald makes a very strong statement in his commentary. He said, this is a mes message which should be heeded, and, and he's going to name names, by all Unitarians, Christian scientists, Muslims, modernists, Jehovah Witnesses, and Jews. Why is he singling out these people? Isn't that a little bit rude? Why is he singling out those people? That's a question for you. They deny that he's the Christ. They deny that he's the Son of God. And we have to be very careful. Some of them are very subtle in their message. Some of them will come to your door and make it seem as though, as though you're, they're right in line with what you're thinking as a believer in Jesus. And then they'll leave you some information that, that has some very subtle messages. I was sitting in the dentist office one time and I picked up a book, Bible Stories. Whoa, how great! And I started looking through them and those were great pictures and the stories were wonderful. Kids would love this book. And then I turned to the flyleaf where it talked about where it came from. And it was a Watchtower publication. And I realized we're naming names and that's really not a nice thing to do. But I think we need to do that. Watchtower is the publishing company for what church? What group? That's Jehovah's Witnesses. And they do not believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man, the anointed one, the Messiah. And they will teach a different doctrine. Great moral teaching. Some of the finest um, quality of living you'll see in their lives. 
But if they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, John says they are anti-Christ. Oh, that's a strong thing. And I'm just, we need to be careful. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 speaks so eloquently of who this wonderful person is, the Lord Jesus. And it clearly states that He is the Son of God, that He is God come in the flesh. How then are we protected? John says this, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Verse 28, he says it again, Abide in him. John commanded believers to maintain a close, intimate fellowship with Christ so that they would not wander away from him. I want to end with a very quick question. We won't answer them now, but I'd like you to be thinking about them and uh, perhaps discuss them with other folks from the, from the church. What are the ways or in what way do we abide in Christ? How is it that we abide in Christ? We've talked about this before. This is a simple review. I'm asking you, jot this one down as your study question for the week. How, what are the ways that we abide in Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know truth and discern what is uh, a lie because the Holy Spirit has been given to us and empowers us to, uh, to know what your word teaches. Give us your grace, we pray. Help us to study your word. Help us to take the time we need to uh, understand the depth of, of the Holy Scriptures. And I thank you, Father, that... Uh, we have many resources that are available to us of good quality that will help us in this. So help us to, to really pull these things out and to use them. Help us to challenge one another. The scripture says we're to provoke unto love and good works. And certainly there's no better work than studying your word. So I pray that you'll help us with that. Bless uh, each one who's here and encourage us as we spend time with you, we pray in Jesus' name.